0: Well, welcome back to our series of Current Culture. Uh, This week's lesson is going to be feminism's misplaced purpose and value. We're going to talk about feminism and and what that entails, and we're going to look at that from a biblical view, how our response should be. I I want to start off with a thought and a comparison. The difference between volunteering and obeying. Is there a difference between volunteering and obeying? Uh, would that change how you do something if you do it on your own versus someone telling you to do something? I, I think of an example. If somebody told me to go mow the lawn, I might have a certain attitude and reaction to that versus if I've been in the house all day, I want to go outside. I want to stretch my legs. It's a, it's a beautiful day out. I, I decide that I want to go mow the lawn. Well, by volunteering. There, it's possible that I could have a different perspective than having to do something that someone told me to do. So let's let's just kind of keep that in mind, the difference between volunteering and uh, obeying something. Historically, feminists have uh, opposed this biblical view of the role of women. They believe that the biblical role of women is someone else telling them to do something. They're, they have to follow what someone else has determined and feminists do not like that. They think that they should be able to do what they want. I hope through this lesson that we can just understand the proper role of women and that we can come to an understanding that God's plan for women and for people in the, in the family and in the church Uh, It's gonna be far better uh, if we follow his plan instead of anything that we could uh, contrive on our own. That's gonna work better than anything a feminist is going to gain by trying some other method. So hopefully uh, by the end of this lesson, we can see that. Let's start by trying to understand feminism. And first, we will talk about the elusive definition of feminism. Well, you'll quickly find that it's very hard to come up with a singular definition of feminism. Uh, You can't peg it to one definition. Well, when the modern movement started, uh, feminists were trying to right the wrongs of women who had been considered less than men. And this grew in popularity and and women were joining with them. But as they sought to find answers, Unified answers to life's problems, the complexities of life and and everyone's individual situations uh, started making them veer off in different directions, trying to find this uh, one answer. Um, Defining what feminists consider um, unfair and worth changing, it's just as difficult as trying to determine where all this unfairness comes from. And the goals of feminism are always changing and different. Um, many modern feminists have admitted that they're, they change their agenda in order to accommodate the complexities of their life. The other thing we have to remember is this, that feminism is not just about women, because women don't live in isolation, right? They live in relationships. They have connections. They... Uh, are in environments, they have places of work, etc. So it's difficult to come to one definition of feminism. So it's gonna be more helpful if we can figure out what their deep life questions are that they're trying to figure out, and then we can take a look and see how God would answer those questions. So what are the fundamental feminist questions? What are the questions that they are asking? The early days of the women's liberation movement in the 1960's was intense. The movement was gaining a lot of momentum and many people were coming together to show their support for the plans that they believed would advance women. The early feminists wanted equal pay for work, access to high level and higher paying jobs, inclusion of women in government, access to independent financial identities, positive portrayal of of women in the media and women's health issues such as the right to choose to have an abortion. Feminists protested restrictions in religious life, exclusion from education opportunities, relegation of domestic work solely to women, and sexual objectification. Women did not believe their voices were being heard regarding critical issues that affected them and all people, nor did they believe that they were considered important enough to be heard. The questions and the statements coming from some of their leaders reveal two questions fundamental to the movement. What's my purpose and what's my value? So the first question, what's my purpose? Well, someone's purpose is their meaning for existence. What is the reason that they're alive? And feminists are asking the question, why do women exist? What are women supposed to be doing? What is the role? of a woman. These are some of their their concerns, their purpose. They're trying to figure that out. So here are some modern quotes from some feminists that are going to shed some light on their concern and what they're thinking. It's not my responsibility to be beautiful. I am not alive for that purpose. My existence is not about how desirable you find me. Women are the only oppressed group in our society that lives in intimate association with their oppressors. It is easier to live through someone else than to complete yourself. The freedom to lead and plan your own life is frightening if you have never faced it before. It is frightening when a woman finally realizes that there is no answer to the question, who am I, except the voice inside herself. A woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. Well, what is Gloria trying to communicate here? She's trying to tell us that men and women were not designed for each other. The Evelyn Cunningham quote, I'll put that back on the screen, it's often used by feminists today. Bloggers have used it on their homepages as a testament to one of their purposes for life and she's implying that the purpose for women should be to see unwanted male authority as wrong and oppressive. So we can see from these quotes, women's concern for their purpose in life. The second life question is, what's my value? Now this is closely related to that first question, what's my purpose? What's my value? Well, value is determined by how one is prized in relationship to something or someone else. So, um, how important are women when compared to men or things? Or uh, what is there that women can contribute that are beneficial to all people? This is the question that's at hand. So again, here are some more quotes from feminists uh, just expressing their uh, need to feel important and valuable. I am a woman phenomenally. Phenomenal woman. That's me. I think being a woman is like being Irish. Everyone says you're important and nice, but you take a second place all the time. If all men are born free, how is it that all women are born slaves? No wonder male religious leaders so often say that humans were born in sin, because we were born to female creatures. Only by obeying the rules of patriarchy can we be reborn through men. No wonder priests and ministers and skirts sprinkle imitation birth fluid over our heads, give us new names, and promise rebirth into everlasting life. I think you can tell there that Gloria has something against religion. Feminists encourage all women to think for themselves and to do what they desire. They think that if they do this it will empower them to have value and meaningfulness to their life. Let's ask a question. What problem arises when a woman with a humanistic evolutionary worldview tries to find purpose and value? She's going to find that there is no true basis for her purpose and value. If people are just evolved organisms, then there is essentially no purpose or value for anyone. Believing women could not find purpose and value in society, feminists rejected social norms and sought to fill the vacuum with their own ideals. But they do so without any true basis for those ideals. In a way, their purpose in life became freeing themselves from society's norm for women. Then they looked at those victories as proof of their value. But in the end, the perceived victories did not bring ultimate fulfillment. Well, none of us can find satisfaction in life outside of God's purpose for our lives, and none of us sense our value more than when we live for God's purpose. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Life is not supposed to be about us. God intends people, both males and females, to bring him glory. You're not going to find purpose and value for your life apart from Him. Jesus spoke about how to find one's life in Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 through 39. Jesus said, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Jesus doesn't say to find your purpose and value within yourself, but to surrender your life to Christ, even to the point of being willing to die for Him. Becoming more liberated or empowered is not the way to discovering value as a person. Value only comes when we give our lives to Christ. Being worthy of Christ is the ultimate value that you can have. Well, let's discover what the Bible has to say about purpose and value. In God's Word, uh, it was revealed to us what His original intention was regarding His creation and His plan for the redemption of the world. The answers to questions of a woman's purpose and value, then, are going to be found in God's Word. Let's begin by looking at commonalities between men and women, and let's start all the way back. In the Garden of Eden. When God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness, well, he created both male and female in his image. So he created both genders, male and fem, female, equal. So uh, a man is bearing God's image and doesn't have any more value than a woman who also bears God's image. Well, if both male and female are bearing God's image, well, it means that their value is the same. Both are equally valuable. So if someone wants to uh, devalue women and treat them like uh, they are worth less than men, ultimately they're offending God. God is the one who created women. He created them in his image and he gave them their value. Men and women were then instructed to rule over the earth, over the animals and over the plants. It was a stewardship that God gave to Adam and Eve. And we have to remember that stewardship is simply just a management of something that belongs to someone else for the benefit of the owner. Well, God instructed both Adam and Eve, uh, to rule over the creation according to his will and according to the gifts that he had given them because both of them were given different gifts and they were both to rule together over creation. Well, that was life back in the Garden of Eden, back when mankind was first created. Let's take a look at life in the church now if we start considering the common purposes and values between men and women in the church the list can be long but we all know this we all have a common salvation we all heard the same gospel and responded and that gospel is still available to us today so all believers whether men or women uh, we have all become children of god through faith in jesus christ furthermore All believers now have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to empower us to use our gifts to serve the church. And we're all empowered with the same amount of power. No one has more, no one has less. And the Holy Spirit is giving us these gifts so that we can serve the church. So every believer, whether a man or a woman, has at least one gift to use for the church. Nobody has all the gifts, but you're given at least one. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 11, where we read, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. So we all have our personal specific gifts from God based upon His will. God clearly planned for women to serve Him, Women are not an afterthought in the church. God uses them intentionally today in His church. A church cannot properly function if the women are not serving God. Let's take a look at chapter 12, uh, verses 14 through 20. For also the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, It is not for this reason, any the less, a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has appointed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. Women. And men can't justly complain about their role in the church because God has chosen and set the members in the body of Christ just as he desired. That's what Paul wrote. God desired it to be this way. So how can we argue with God then? If we continue reading verses 21 through 27 we will see that every single member of the church is necessary. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, how much more is it that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think is less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no such need. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Paul is showing us here that God clearly wanted to communicate to us through this letter that uh, everybody has an important role in the life of the church. Uh, He hasn't left anybody out. Both men and women are necessary and vital to do the work of the church. Thirdly, let's look at life in eternity. When Christ comes back for his church, He will have a personal meeting with every member so he can evaluate their service for him within the local church. We find this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Those who wasted their time worrying about what level of authority they had in comparison to others in the church or in the home will be sorely disappointed with how they lived. Women should never feel inferior or worthless in the church. Christ has given them work to do, and he is coming soon to gather his church to see in part how the women did with the jobs he entrusted to them that should motivate all of us to be busy serving God, rejoicing in whatever role He has given to us. You can see from the diagram the eternal perspective a woman should have. When she is content and faithful with the role God has assigned to her, she will have great rewards awaiting her in heaven, and at the judgment seat of Christ she will have an increased opportunity to glorify God. But if a woman is discontent and unfaithful to what God has asked of her, she will forfeit eternal rewards and lose opportunities to glorify God at the judgment seat. How you want to view your role on earth will affect your eternal rewards, rewards that will last forever and remind you of the greatness of God. In heaven, everyone will be focused on God and giving Him glory. Nothing will ever be more important than that. Women who resent the role God has for them now in the church and in the home are only limiting themselves in eternity. Women who embrace their role now will have the opportunity to worship the Lord for all eternity with the rewards they earned while on earth. Once we all enter eternity and reign with Christ forever, There isn't going to be any more marriage between man and woman. Marriage is going to go away. We are all going to be permanently the bride of Christ. So actually women, while here on earth, uh, they're representing the picture of how we are going to have a relationship with Christ for all of eternity. So I just covered three different commonalities that both men and women share. Going back to creation, uh, we were both created in the image and the likeness of God. We both bear his image equally. Now in the church, we both have been given different roles. We've been given gifts to use to build up the body and to be the church. And then in eternity, we know that Christ is going to evaluate us on our service and how we did with those roles and the gifts that he entrusted to us. Well, let's take a moment now to look at some of the uh, specifics for men and women and where we might differ in our roles. Women have specific roles to fill in the home and the church. Let's begin in the home. As I explained in the lesson on God's truths about alternative lifestyles, the Bible teaches that man and women are equal in essence, but different in function or role. In God's truth on marriage, god designed the man to be the head or the leader in the marriage relationship he designed eve to be a complement to adam god brought eve to adam showing divine intention order and planning in Ephesians chapter 5 paul explains the roles of a christian husband and a christian wife to one another god expects the wife to submit to the husband the biblical concept of submission suggests a ranking under it does not assign a lesser value to the person who ranks under another person let me give you an example a corporal ranks under a captain but he may be as intelligent personable and talented as the captain nevertheless for the sake of order in the military the corporal submits to his captain so similarly a wife may be as intelligent personable and talented as her husband or maybe even out him quite a bit. That can happen. But for the sake of honoring the order God established for marriage, she voluntarily ranks under her husband. She respects his leadership and responsibility as God-given. Ephesians 5.22 tells wives to submit to their husbands. Well, this can be difficult because husbands aren't perfect. All right, we're sinners, we're... we're we're prone to make mistakes. We give in to selfish impulses at times. So, of course, this can be difficult. But God still calls women to submit. But if a wife will submit to Christ first and then to her husband, it will allow Christ to work in your life, to bring about the necessary submission to your husband that is required of you. You may find it difficult to submit. But the second part of that verse says, submit to him as to the Lord. So don't grumble about it. Submit and acknowledge that the arrangement reflects God's will. Paul then wrote in verse 23 that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. The wife is to submit to her husband because he is the head of the home. He bears the same relationship to the wife that Christ bears to the church. But Christ also bears an additional relationship to the church, for he is the Savior of the body. Christ's relationship to the church is so much more profound than that of a husband to a wife. Just as the church is subject to Christ, uh, so the wife should submit to the husband in all things within the marriage And take note that wives are to submit they're the ones instructed to submit to fall under the authority of the husband some men walk around uh, demanding and thinking that they can assume authority over all the women that they come in contact with but this just simply isn't biblical Um, he does not have such authority wives are to submit to their husbands well the Christian husband needs to love his wife like Christ loved the church. And how was that, right? Christ died on the cross for her. He gave his life up for her. And that's the same way the husband uh, should love his wife. And Christ is even still loving the church today by uh, providing care and guidance for her. So husbands are to love their wives in this manner. Let's take a look at the specific roles for men and women Within the church. Well, there are qualifications for pastors and deacons that we find in scripture, like in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And when we look at the language uh, of that text, it assumes that those positions are filled by men. So the qualifications are, are chosen for men, geared for men. So this excludes women from filling the role of pastor or deacon. But I want you to remember this that The Bible tells us that few men are called to pastoral ministry. So there are also restrictions for men. So if you're not chosen, if God does not choose a man to be a pastor, he has no right to become a pastor, to fulfill that position. Paul also goes on to instruct uh, what the role of women's uh, teaching should be in the church. And just to summarize, he, he says this, that women should not teach men or have authority over them within the church setting. So churches can handle this stuff many different ways, but I think this is the important thing to remember, is they shouldn't be violating clear biblical instructions on different roles and qualifications, but they also need to be careful not to restrict women who have gifts to be used to serve and and benefit the church. We will finish by identifying feminism in the church. Well, where or how could we identify feminism that maybe has started to infiltrate and creep into the church? Well, if you look around and you start noticing a breakdown of the role of women, whether it's in the the role at the church or in the home, uh, that could be feminism that has started to uh, creep in egalitarianism is the belief that both men and women are created equal both in essence and in function but if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden to the fall uh, the God's perfect plan was destroyed and disrupted okay and He had to elevate man to a position of leadership well Now that Christ has died for us, it's providing an opportunity for women to be restored um, to the proper equality with that of man. And egalitarianism sounds good, it sounds inviting, um, but it's simply not biblical. If you read through the epistles and you read the doctrine that Paul presents to us, you have to reject it. It's, It's not a biblical concept. And women who want to fight this battle uh, and refuse to surrender, they're 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 giving up their opportunity to fulfill the role that God has designed for them to please Him by fulfilling that role, and they're going to lose the rewards for their ministry that they could have had forever. Remember how those rewards by by following what God has asked you to do, uh, there will be a judgment time coming, and you're going. To forfeit that and it's not just women God expects every believer uh, to um, be faithful with what he has asked them to do and in, in fulfilling the certain roles and using the gifts that he has given us and those that understand this they're going to please the Lord uh, with their lives and uh, I believe you will be eternally grateful Well, I want to end with a few thoughts and questions for um, both men and women. And I'm going to start with the women. And uh, so here we go. So women, what is your level of commitment you have with the role God has given to you in the church and home? What's your current level of commitment uh, to what God has asked and required of you? Think about that this week. Confess any discontentment you might have and trust God to help you serve Him with joy. He's given you a role. Uh, He's given you a purpose. He's given you gifts to use. Um, So think of your level of commitment. And secondly, how will you specifically increase your faithfulness in fulfilling the roles God has for you in your home and your church? Pray about that this week. And uh, really examine to see if you are being faithful to what God has asked of you. Men, uh, we have some questions to think about as well. Would God characterize your service for Him as faithful? We want to be men of faith. I know I would like to be a man of faith. So would you characterize your service for Him as being faithful? Um, in the past as you as you reflect and secondly what might you need to do to be a better leader in your home and church think about some some intentional practical things you need to change to become a better leader in your home and the church to serve and lead like Jesus Christ who lived uh, for us died for us gave himself sacrificially Do you love the church and your wife and your family that way? These are tough questions, but um, it's good for us to reflect, to examine, and to think on these things. So those two deeper life questions that feminists are really pursuing and trying to find the answers to. What is my value and what is my purpose? When we look at the scriptures, we find the answers to both of those. We find out that women do have value and do have a purpose. They're valuable because God created them in His own image. And they have a purpose because uh, God has designed specific roles for them to fulfill. And when they do, when they submit to that, uh, the church and the home flourish and they're able to complete God's will. So our biblical response to feminism is to faithfully fulfill God's roles for you. Faithfully fulfill your role. The memory verse for this week is Colossians 3, 23-24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Serve the Lord Christ. Next week's lesson is going to be uh, God's instruction on immigration. We're going to look at a few different approaches to immigration reform, but then we're going to take a look and see what the Bible has to say about the stranger and the poor and how as believers we need to have compassion on them and share the gospel with them. So I hope you can join me for that next video lesson.